This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. There are churches now that have the this very large American flags next to the crucifix at their altars as though they are now worshiping the American flag. They have, yeah. and, and I think, <clears throat> and I, I again say, I don't believe that, that most Republican leaders believe in that. I think that they know that they can capitalize on that. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Megan. So for today's essential question, how is the right leveraging social and economic conditions to pass such shit legislation? In other words, how and why are the baddies winning? Megan, the baddies are winning. The baddies keep winning. Mm, It's getting at me. Before we talk about that, though, we do have a little bit of an announcement. Megan, I heard that listeners uh, might be missing a little bit of your smooth jazz voice vocals, your knowledge in a, cu- in a couple of episodes. That's Tell us what's going on. Jazz. I really enjoy the way that you just. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I was saying like KPLU I, yeah, would be yeah. what your voice is like perfect for. Um, so, yeah, I just I am going to be taking the next month off of the podcast. Um, I've got some health things that have come up, but also just that really great springtime for a teacher. I'm working on getting my national boards, which are due in a month. Um, Got that good old AP exam coming up in Mm. a little over a week. And also I'm the activities coordinator for my school. So we've got prom also coming Mm. up. And so Mm. it's really Mm. just a beautiful storm. Um, And just through some reflection, realized that it was probably best for my own um, mental health to just take a little bit of a break from the podcast. But don't you worry, I'll be back in a month, back and better than ever, where where we'll get to talk about um, more baddies, um, you know, more baddies. <laughs> probably win. an update on the topic. Probably tonight, an update actually. on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah, so um, hopefully listeners will be fine with a little bit of solo episodes. Um, and also we'll, 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 we're looking at some guest um, hosts as well. So good things to come. And we hope that you get lots of rest and just get through all of this. That sounds quite intense. Because believe, um, believe me also, I would rather be if I, you know, hmm. I would rather prioritize the podcast if I had the choice. <laughs> Talking to you yeah. about these things is far more um, enjoyable than the things that some of the things I've got coming up. Yeah, fair enough. Well, why don't you start us off with an introduction to our topic today? Um, being the resident historian slash social studies teacher slash government expert in the house. Um, oh. Tell us a little bit what we're talking about. So uh, we are here just to give some chronological ton- context. It's April 23rd today. Um, and what we have seen across the the country 
um, is legislation that has been anti-LGBTQ+. And I think that we, or many of our listeners have probably heard the um, Don't Say Gay Bill. Many of our listeners have probably heard about um, um, the Texas Governor Abbott passing um, essentially an executive order regarding um, gender-affirming counseling for trans youth. Um, those are kind of the big national news ones, but also there are hundreds of bills that have been introduced to state legislatures over the last year or so, um, more than any other time in -hmm. history, um, that are anti-LGBTQ plus. And, and this is also on top of, you know, the, the CRT debate, right? Critical race theory that's not being taught in schools, um, and the book banning and literal book burning. And so today's episode, we're going to be talking specifically about those anti-LGBTQ plus, um, bills, but in the big context of, once again, the baddies continuing to push and pass legislation that is regressive. So that's kind of what we're talking about today. Um, my, I, have I feel a, like we need like 15 chain bells, by the way. I know. Like, all ring them the all, bells all in episode. that introduction. So I can just like throw them in whenever he feels like it. <laughs> like rain them down. Uh, <laughs> my, I guess my intro question, Hope, is, you know, you're halfway across the world right now. And, and I'm wondering how much exposure have you had to what's been happening here in the States regarding these bills? Is it being covered? Are you hearing about it? To what extent are you hearing about it? Because I can tell you in the States, it's been con- like a- consuming a lot of the national news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, for those of us who watch, um, you know, like the BBC, CNN, pay attention to Al Jazeera and some of the other kind of the AP um, WAPOs, you know, some of those kind of news sources. Uh, we, you know, we have access to social media here. So there's um, quite a bit of coverage, as you pointed out. And I think it's really easy for folks to follow along. But also, I think it's equally as easy for folks to be comfortable and not pay attention to those things or to keep yeah. them on their peripheral. And I think one of the things that I certainly have been guilty of is paying, you know, paying attention in part, you know, so as my friends are posting about it or as I'm going to read resources, also trying to just process how much it is, because I think that's the other piece that is. Um, even I don't know for folks that are like in the states on a daily basis it's like is this the same state oh wait this is another law oh wait this is another state oh wait that law mirrors this law oh oh, okay great well what what about that one oh now we're looking at 10 different states oh and you you kind of almost are inundated with with so much information in a way it just kind of merges together and so I think um, in that sense you know people can really easily we talked before on the show like the idea of people opting out especially white folks or folks who don't fit into whatever the group is that's being targeted in a given moment right and I think it's really easy for folks to just kind of be like well it's only one state you know there's the, the folks who are kind of ignoring what's happening I think and then there's the other people who are like well it's so many I can't really like parcel out and then kind of overwhelmed but I think you know it's really important like you said to pay attention to what's going on to look for trends um, I mean even your your the point earlier you made about there's oh, this year, just so much legislation has been presented and then passed. I mean, this is based on previous years too, right? So it's like that gradual buildup, that pushback, right? That testing those boundaries. So, you know, it's like, what can we pass next year, right? Have we add on to that bill next right. year? How can we, you know, narrow it down in this particular way or deal with this thing that didn't get passed the previous year? And it's actually quite diabolical, I would say, and intentional, right? Cal- Very. Calculated. Yeah. And I, I think, um, 
there's something to be said about the volume of information distracting yeah. from the calculated efforts that are being had, right? So that if I, I think there's information fatigue that happens. Yeah. Um, and so there's so much information being thrown at us. And I think that we talked about this a lot when Trump was president, right? Mm-hmm. That there was there was a new scandal every day. There was a new thing every yeah. day, this outrageous yeah. thing that he said or did that people received fatigue, right? Like this crisis fatigue or this like scandal fatigue. And so in order for them to take care of themselves, they had to check out. I think the shift that has happened since Trump is no longer president is that there is information fatigue. There is so mm. much, there's so much legislation. There are so many things happening. There's so much, <clears throat> there's so much that you can focus on that it becomes overwhelming. And so then I think that the the baddies are relying on that fatigue that happens to where you eventually just check out. Um mm. Well, and and yeah. this is, it's a privilege to be able to do that, right? I think even if you're oh, overwhelmed or even like there's that privilege that comes from it not directly impacting your life, maybe in a way, yeah. or maybe you thinking like if you don't know a trans person or your kid isn't right, like yeah. I think there's also that removal so folks can, you know, use their privilege and, and opt out of it rather than paying attention for the people that you care about, your students in your classroom, your friends, your colleagues, right. your cousin, whoever it may be, and paying attention to those folks as well. Because your advocacy I, and your knowledge about that matters also to them. I And I, I often, so I am in the thick of it, the AP exam review. Um, yeah. And one of the required documents is letters from a Birmingham jail. And, you know, MLK in that letter talks, is talking directly to the white mo- moderate right? Mm -hmm. Those that said that they supported the civil rights movement, but they couldn't support the means at which they were attempting to Mm -hmm. take their rights, right? To receive their civil rights and protections from the government and demanding those things. And, and there's, and I tell my students, there's a reason why he was writing to the white moderate and not the KKK and the white supremacists, right? Because, the the well one they wouldn't listen anyway but they wouldn't listen anyways but also the (laughs) majority right like the majority (laughs) the people that that care but can choose to check out are the ones Mm -hmm. that have the actual power to to make Mm -hmm. it stop Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. that's because it's the majority right it's in there's power in numbers and so Mm -hmm. um the 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 baddies are relying on the the majority that say they care, but don't do anything or check out that they're relying on that to do what they're doing, because if they weren't checking out, they wouldn't be able to. Well, that was one of my questions to you is, you know, what do you think are well, like why so much legislation now based on what you've read, based on what you understand about historical context? Mm-hmm. Um, are, is there anything that you think is especially mm, pertinent about this time and place that people are responding. Maybe we have Joe Biden, you know, came in and saved everything. Uh, just kidding. Um, you know, we don't have Trump anymore. Um, you, you know, what do you what do you think? Is it just a is it just a reaction? Is it you know? People always love to do the like it's the last little bit of power before they die. And I'm like, really though, because they're still holding on real tight. And I don't think anyone's really shriveled up that much. And dying. call me a skeptic. Um, and I just want to preface this by saying that this, these are my own thoughts and, yeah, opinions personal opinion, and yeah. my personal opinions. And um, I think that 
that right now we're watching a realignment within the the Republican Party, and we have for a while. And what that means, mm-hmm. a real a party realignment just means that the party platform is shifting and changing in yeah. order to grab different voting voters, right? And so a political party, I mean, we have seen several shifts, several realignments throughout U.S. history with political parties. Um, and those are the ideologies of the party change and shift in order to grab voters because in order for a political party to be successful, they have to win elections. And so in order to win elections, you have to have votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that we're watching that shift continuing to happen. And I, I think that the Republican Party knows that they have to they're the way that they're going to win elections because they're the minority um, percentage in the country at this point, right? That that they have to lean into the Christian nationalist ideals that they have mm-hmm. to in order to gain a powerful enough minority base that will have enough support that allows them to push through legislation that is going to harm the other party, the other voting base, right? So people of color, marginalized community. Mm -hmm. um, And that's going to be through voter suppression. That is going to be through um, restrictive policies. And so you see them pandering to an evangelical Christian nationalist Mm -hmm. um, ideology now. And I think that that's what all of these policies are doing, is that they're doing this in order to strengthen their support from the base that they need um which it is in my opinion almost cult-like right where yeah yeah. where if you're appealing to somebody's um religious ideologies and and you make it a bigger than government issue right it's bigger than government it's godly it's um it's the soul like it's like the um it's the values it's these traditional values and and the devil the devil is coming to get our kids which Mm -hmm. is the narrative that is being pushed in the republican party right now is that the devil Mm -hmm. is coming to get our kids and um if you are appealing to that it's powerful right i think that Brene brown talked about the power of fear right Mm -hmm. that that there is power in fear and it's not sustainable if you build your base and following off of fear if your leadership style is based on fear that's not a sustainable way but it's an effective in the immediacy way right she uses hitler mm-hmm. as a, an mm-hmm. example of that um and but i you think also have you can just shift your fear right you just change your like you're right it's not it's effective um, in the sense that you can, you always can find something to create fear. Yeah. Around, and right? I think that what we also have to recognize is that because we are a winner take all mm. public um, in the United States, that it's very possible for the 30% of Republican voters that are Trump supporters, that are what we call now Trumpers, but I think it's bigger than Trump now. Yeah. It's possible for them to have the control of the country. We see yes, it across yeah. the country right now. We see it happening in Michigan. I think that if we were to look at what's happening in the state legislature in Michigan, we see that the minority has the control yeah. and, and, and this has been happening for decades now in the United States. The Republican Party has systematically been pushing um, on a on a local scale, focusing on local government, knowing that 
this was the trajectory, right? Mm -hmm. That they focused on getting as many federal judges appointed to district courts as possible over the last several decades, because they know that things like, mm, I don't know, like the mask mandate being lifted by one federal mm -hmm. judge was going to impact policy. Um, and they also focused on state legislatures. I yeah. mean, Republicans control almost three fourths of state legislatures in this country, because state legislatures control redistricting. Mm -hmm. And if you control redistricting, you control Congress. And, and so through gerrymandering, the Republican Party is aware that they can have my, the minority number of voters in this country, but they can have control, they can have the control of Congress. And, and I think all of those things, they know that they have to pass legislation like they're currently passing mm -hmm. in order to appease their base so that they can continue to win. Mm -hmm. I don't think mm -hmm. that, I do not believe that Republican leaders actually believe or care about this, these, this like oh, these bills that they're okay. passing. I think that there's a small majority that do. I think that, um, I think though that for the most part, Republican leaders are not, um, Christians. They're not evangelical Christians. They, they call themselves, they're only Christian by name. Like if you look at what well, they're I, actually believing, like they're not Christians. Yeah. And there's well, and to your point about yeah. evangelicalism, which is the whole yeah. thing. I mean, we talked about it a little bit on the show, yeah, but it's yeah. that particular kind of manifestation of Christianity. I think that's and most think problematic, right. Christian, that has merged yeah. itself and, and integrated into the political scene and yes. says, this is evangelicalism. This is the, what we are aligning ourselves to politically and and I think, um, yeah, that's an interesting point. I think specifically Christian nationalists, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that the evangelical Christian nationalists that there is now you, there's videos of churches and congregations chanting, um, let's go Brandon, right? Like that is being led by church leaders, those chants. And mm -hmm. it's absolutely political. The fact that there is huge American flags at the altars in these churches, these, these mega churches that they're, that they're I just keep eye rolling and trying right? to hold know, like a shame bell all over. We did say that the shame belt, but mm, that, that there is a conflation, there's a conflation between religion and Christ yeah, and yeah. the crucifix and the American flag that, yeah. that there are churches now that are, are, have the this very large American flags next to the crucifix at their altars as though they are now worshiping the American flag they have yeah. and and I think <clears throat> and I, I again say I don't believe that that most Republican leaders believe in that. I think that they know that they can capitalize on that, right They can capitalize on this very, very devoted base. And mm -hmm. this all started after Roe v. Wade. Newt Gringich mm -hmm. saw an opportunity to grab the, the very angry white Christian South after mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade, because the Democrat party supported Roe v. Wade, supported the civil rights movement. And they had been strongholds, right? The white, um, the white South had been Democrats since its inception during Andrew Jackson's presidency. Right, um, yeah. And, and, but there was an opportunity, the Republican party during that time saw the writing on the wall. They saw that they were becoming the minority percentage of voters um, in the country. And Newt Gringich, Gringich saw an opportunity to grab the white South for the first time ever. Mm 
And he did, right? That was the shift in the Republican Party was um, the Christian values of the Republican Party. The inception was that is why the Republican Party started being the party of Christian values was because of Roe v. Wade. Mm. Yeah, as you're talking, I'm reminded of um, the book Jesus and John Wayne, which I know a number of our listeners have listened to. But if you haven't listened to it yet or read it, I should say I'm listening to the audiobook about halfway through. Um, it's really good. And it's certainly, I think, on a lot of folks' lists, but prioritizing it because it lays this out in a really systematic way um, and explores, you know, just what is happening in different time periods mm-hmm. and, you know, as certain leaders come to power, why they came to power, what people were looking for um, and how these things all got conflated. Mm-hmm. Um, I highly recommend that book. Yeah, as you were as you were also talking, I, I was thinking a bit about a, a piece I read recently from Vox um, called "The Time to Panic About Anti-Trans Legislation Is Now," yeah. and it came out I don't know a couple weeks ago. But one of the things so you talk a lot about the you know the historical and the political nature of why we're in these conditions, and one of the things I, I thought the author would w- kind of hit a couple things and just the way that they described it. Um, why these mo- this moment now? So these pieces, these legislations. Um, are built, or these laws, sorry, these laws are built atop the cis sexist idea that transness is a harmful aberration at best and an outright fabrication at worst. And they aim not to help children, but to suppress their basic selves. And just the wording of that I thought was really interesting. Um, That same author goes on to kind of break apart this conversation around, or one of the narratives that's coming out from different, particularly I've seen about the Idaho state representative, um, just in, in terms of, like really trying to leverage the pro-life argument and how this is an extension of, and just the way that they were, the author describes it. I I hadn't really read anything that linked those up really well. And I just thought that was really powerful. So I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, But just, it's like such a false, it's, what is the what's the logical fallacy where it's like, hey, look at this thing over here instead. I don't know if um, it's a red herring or whatever it is, right? Where it's like, what, what? This has nothing to do with like your pro-life, anti-abortion pro procreation narrative like what are you talking about oh my gosh um but it's really interesting to think about the way that cis sexism is manifesting and then also this false narrative that you know people need to be getting together in order to procreate and that's like that's the end of you know what everyone's life purpose is yes um when you linked that um, I, as I was reading through that, I was like, oh my God, like it was amazing. I really encourage everybody to go find that link and read it yeah. because it was, it's absolutely the the line of thinking. Um, I actually want us to take a break, take a, yeah. a quick pause. And when we come back, let's, let's take like a couple steps back. Let's talk through, we said that it's an overwhelming amount of information about the legislation. Let's, I think kind of um, talk through what is the don't mm-hmm. say gay bill in Florida? What is the anti-trans bill um, in Texas? Let's talk about what it is that we're actually talking about to contextualize the conversation and then have some conversations about, well, what is it can, that we can do if say our states are not pushing legislation like this? Sounds good. This is Eric Hanberg, co-founder and publisher of Channel 253. This episode is sponsored by Bench. What is Bench? Bench is an amazing bookkeeper for your micro, small, or large business. You get on-call bookkeepers supporting your business with a low monthly fee. They do the books for you every month, answer questions, and help give you the financial clarity you need. I was so glad to find them for Channel 253. Bench has been so easy to work with. They walked me through the initial setup on the phone and then got to work. 
In a couple of days, they had done what I could never seem to get around to. In the years since then, they categorize expenses and income and flag things that need more information, all through the website or an app. The reports are beautiful and helpful, and my reports are packaged up for the accountant at the end of the year. It's taken something that was a real pain point for me and made it something very easy, if not downright enjoyable, all for a low, flat monthly fee. Best of all, you can get your first month free just to see if you like it. To give Bench a spin and explore the software, use this special link, channel253.com slash bench. Got that? Channel253.com slash bench to learn more and claim your free month of bookkeeping. Welcome back. Don't forget to subscribe to Channel 253. If you're not yet a member, please help us out, support the great content on this podcast and on this network. And of course, get involved in our pop-in Slack channel where you'll learn all kinds of things like great book recommendations, what's going on in local Tacoma politics, um, where you should travel to. I mean, it's a wide, vast array of knowledge by really fun, smart people. Very And I love the conversations. Very There's even one on cryptocurrency, y'all. I mean, if you're into that, like, go for it. Talk about um, checking out, right? Talk about checking out. I, whenever <laughs> I'm like, mm, checked out. No, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Good, bad, or ugly. Well, I don't know if I should or not, but. <laughs> don't worry. When we come home this summer, I'm going to go ahead and like, you know, help you out with that. Perfect. Thanks. You yeah. Thanks. Um, you're welcome. So Megan, why don't you do like a, I don't want to say like a greatest hits of these horrible pieces of legislation and, and laws and bills um, and initiatives, but can you kind of talk us through a couple of big ones that are yeah. probably on people's radar and then like, what does that mean for the smaller, I, I don't want to be offensive and say like Louisiana is a smaller state than Florida, but it is. Um, yeah, yeah. And kind of what does that mean you think? And this kind of going back and forth. Yeah. I think that what I, I think, Starting with Florida's, I think that that's, um, along with Texas, has been the one that has gotten the most national media and this like phrase of don't say gay. And and you hear a lot of conservative pundits saying like, that's not what this bill is talking about. And then a lot of liberal pundits saying like, absolutely, that's what this bill is talking about. And I think that it's nuanced. um, And I I think that there is... um, this idea that talking about homosexuality and same-sex relationships to young children is exposing them to sexuality, which that is the purpose of this bill. I think um, mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I want to, can teachers talk about their um, opposite sex partners? Uh, you know, there can female teachers talk about their husbands? Yes. But the idea is that um, teachers in same-sex relationships cannot talk about their partners to their students. Um, under also, the guidelines for the most part, of this people bill. aren't just each are just in the classroom being like oh my partner did this this week like it's not like people aren't <laughs> like there's and a also, weird perception you know, too of what people are talking about in the classroom like I we kind of have learning standards we have to talk know about the does it then okay so here's oh, the yeah, does yeah. It then moment so does it then people that weirdly sexualize babies by saying they're going to be a lady killer to bo- little baby boys and like they're going to be heartbreakers or mm-hmm, girls mm-hmm, that are like mm-hmm, oh mm-hmm. she's flirting with you mm-hmm, um so pe- the people that do that and like buy the shirts that say that there was a really funny snl sketch about this but like yeah. um, baby high the circle that circle and then mm-hmm. the people that support florida's don't say gay bill yeah. like yeah, yeah. does it then i would argue 
there, it does vent. There is a lot strong overlap or the strong overlap of people that do that. Anyways, so I just want to read the line that from this bill that gives it the don't say gay name. And so yeah. um, this, this line says classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through thir- grade three or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. Now, some of you might be like, what does that even mean? That's really, really vague. And that is by design. It is meant to be really vague so that if ever there are lawsuits that are brought against it, judges um, have leeway in their interpretation of the bill. Um, And so by making it vague, it does, it creates more space and opportunity for restriction um, and discrimination. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's kind of the line that gave this bill the, the don't say gay is that technically from kindergarten through third grade, there should be no mention of sexuality at all. And by sexuality, I mean, just relationships. That, yeah. That's the thing, right? It's not, yeah. again, it's kind of wild to think that people are having these, no one's trying to push I'm sorry, just like the, the sexuality piece is just so absurd, but like that's part of that's the narrative, right? It's like uh-huh. that's what we're talking about. No, we are talking about relational health. We're talking about um, ident- ID, right? Like gender ID, like who you are as a person, how you interact with other people. Like those are the conversations that ki- that teachers are having in the classroom that are tied to the standards. There's no bizarre conversation about, I don't know, like just forcing your kid to like talk about sex and sexuality and and somebody else's yes. version of those like what and i and i think i can't like, even use so my words is, because i feel like it's so preposterous are you, are you continuing to think about the episode that we recorded all about sexual health and like sex ed in yeah. class yeah. in yeah. schools yeah. and and how sex ed with elementary kids are not talking about the reproductive organ that early they're, they're talking yeah. about social emotional relationships mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. healthy relationships mm-hmm. how do you build healthy relationships mm-hmm. what how do you learn about your own body and mm-hmm. wash your all hands after you pee you know yeah <laughs> like just right and and also what i think we talked about in that episode up, you know? was that by having those conversations with young kids it it protects them from um harm right? Mm-hmm. That it protects them from being able to be taken advantage of and predators from taking advantage of kids by having open conversations. This is not a scary, this should not be scary conversation with young children. It is a necessary conversation with young children. So part of this bill also brings in this element around mental health. And, yeah. and can you talk a bit more about that? Because yeah. I think that again, just add to the things of like, what are we doing here, people? Um, <laughs> this piece just drives me crazy. So this, um, I'll read just a portion of this one. Um, in accordance with the rights of parents, uh, adopt procedures for notifying a student's parents if there is a change in the student's services or monitoring related to the student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being and the school's ability to provide a safe and supportive learning environment for the student. Essentially, what this is saying is that if a child um, tells a teacher or a school staff member that they are gay or they are um, are um, believing that they are, they seek counseling for that. Um, if they, they ask for counseling support in the schools for gender identity um, or 
being a part of the LGBTQ plus community, the school is now legally required to inform the parent. Um, and I think that if you are a teacher or an educator in a school, you know how dangerous this is because of the number of students that school is their safe place to communicate about things that they don't feel safe communicating to their parents or those that they live with. Um, and that oftentimes schools are really good bridges for students getting to a place where they can have those conversations, but it doesn't happen immediately. There's a lot of kids that are receiving counseling services in their schools that are not, like I, we have students that see our school counselor that parents, you don't have to have parent permission to do. Um, yeah, and I, well, I think the thing too about little kids, you know, there's like fear around that, right? Because, you know, the parent is the primary person helping raise this kid, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, whoever their adult is, I should say. Um, but I also think like, may, I, I don't teach elementary, but my understanding is also kids say some like things just out of pocket anytime. They're repeating stuff all the time, mm -hmm. whatever. And so I think there's also this kind of like, you know, um, adult wisdom that needs to come into play of like, if kids just saying something or asking a question, like they're curious or asking questions or talking about stuff that they've mm -hmm. heard. It's not some like, oh my gosh, it's kids, you know, doing this big thing, um, or saying something that's going to go against what a parent is saying. I think also just developmentally, right. People are kind of miss understanding what little kids are doing and maybe yeah. I'm misunderstanding. So, you know, audience. I, yeah. I don't think, I don't think that this it's not the same as a high school conversation. Yeah. But I also don't think this provision is limited to just elementary. I yeah. think that it's for all students. Yeah, that, if, that if any student is re, is receiving mental health services, and by that it that is you that could be just seeing their counselor, their school counselor. That could be yeah. seeing the school psychologist. Um, yeah, yeah. The school is now well, legally I guess I think about, to inform their parents. Yeah. Well, and I, I guess I'm thinking about it because the law is targeting grade kindergarten to grade three, right? So in my mind, I'm like. You're focused yeah. on that, oh, or yeah. the use of the word children over and over in, in the in the in the law, right? Like yeah. even that, right? It's not saying adolescents, it's not saying teenagers, right? So yeah. whether they're infantilizing them, I don't know. Um, oh yeah, I think that for day. sure. But it, this is you, for K through twelve education systems yeah, now, and so I true. think I also think about okay, so this goes beyond um, LGBTQ plus. I have mm -hmm. students that oh, yeah. seek. I I have students that seek counseling um for abuse in the home right yes. there's yeah. negligence i have students that are seeking counseling seeking support mental health support for things that are happening within their family unit and this yeah. law essentially says that a school could be um legally liable if they're not going to inform the parents yeah. Yeah. um how do you think that compares to what we're seeing coming out of texas um, do you think there's like a go big yeah. or go home approach in Texas's list? Everything's bigger in Texas, um, including. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's so sad. But it's so, yeah, yeah. It, there is not humor in it, the absurdity mm -hmm. of it. But I also think the reality of what's happening in Texas. So essentially, Texas the, is the anti-transgender directive from the governor. This is not a law that was passed through the state legislature. This was a di directive from yeah. the Texas governor, um, Governor Abbott. Um, and essentially what he was saying was he was directing the um, Child Protective Services 
to now classify families that support gender affirming therapy for their child. So essentially a child who um, is transgender and is transitioning, that it is now considered abuse, child abuse, and um, needs to be investigated as such. Um, and so there have been open, now granted a hand, not, not a lot, and as of a month ago or a couple weeks ago when I looked, it had, it was like, you know, a little over a dozen families there that had open investigations because of gender affirming care. Um, and essentially that the Governor Abbott is saying that conversion therapy is the direction to go for a child seeking that is identifying as trans. Um, and so that's what the what is happening in Texas, a little bit different than Florida, because it wasn't the state legislature. It's not to do with school systems, but um, it is it is making families, parents that are allowing their child to live their authentic selves um, and go through gender affirming therapy, uh, um, classifying that as child abuse. Which, by the way, the fact that like the conservatives um, in Texas are trying to regulate what people are personally doing at home, like is is so preposterous because that's always the thing that they shout about. Like, stop telling me how to control my personal life and my kids. Well, I, I did that accent. That's not Texas yes. or anything else. But right, you know what I mean. Like <laughs> the other one, I feel like with schools, it's like okay, I get it. You're trying to control public schools. You already hate public schools. Yeah. Whatever. That's all part of not whatever, but you know, you know what I mean. This one, it's like what you're talking to people on their homes like what this is abuse and then i mean we have we don't have time today to get into like how the folks are trying to tie this to also like predatory behaviors and yes. how like you know we're trying to catch the pervs out there in these streets like what i i, mean, I think so um and this is why i say that we've been going through in this country the republicans have been going through a realignment since roe v wade um I think that you have the longstanding Republicans, the Republican voters that have always voted Republican, that still vote Republican, but don't, they don't identify with this type of legislation. Mm -hmm. They don't really care about this legislation. They don't have to care about this legislation. And so they continue to vote for Republican politicians, but they're not endorsing that. I think that that percentage is getting smaller and smaller. Um, and then you have... Um, the Republican Party that does support this legislation. And I think that we often, it's why I really, I don't speak about the Republican Party and conservative values um, as the same thing anymore, because no, the Republican no, Party no, is not conservative values. Yeah. They're not, they're yeah. not conservative ideologies, small government, you know, as small of central government as possible. They're a Christian nationalist party now. The Republican Party is a Christian nationalist party. And I think before Roe v. Wade, the Republican Party was pro-life. They were a pro-life party. And the only reason that they are not, I'm going to keep saying this, is because Newt Gingrich saw an opportunity to capture that voting base. And so that was the start of the march for the Republican Party to be the party of Christian nationalists. And, and I think they hide behind conservative ideologies yeah. in order to continue to capture what I believe to be about 15% of their voting base that is that they have to have in order to win national elections, right? They have to have that 15% that still thinks of themselves as conservative Republicans. Yeah. Um, so they have to keep with that messaging, but 
they that they're not the party of conservatism anymore. Not really. Yeah. Um, what do you so thinking about what you've just said and, and kind of thinking about some of the other um, other smaller states? Um, how do you see you know what Texas and Florida have done? Uh, I mean, co- it's, it's concurrent. Obviously, these the you know it's the same legislative mm-hmm. session um, season. Like it's concurrent yeah. work. But what do you make of some of the other laws that are out there? No, we don't have time to go into all of them. Yeah. But is there any that is especially alerting, alarming to you that you think folks should go look? We have so many links we're going to link to in, in the show notes here. Yeah. Um, I think the Tennessee one is one that I was like, what the? And they yeah. just passed right on um, Friday. Like the they overthrew the the governor's veto on Friday. How about you talk? Um, do you want to talk about that one? So what what is happening in Tennessee? Well, go, you're you're deep in this more than I am. I would say, but I was just like re, I was just rereading that. Like I forgot that you can do. I forgot that you can if a governor vetoes something that you can just like. Get, ignore that <laughs> I've forgotten so I, I turned over to Nate and I was like wait what can you explain this again to me um so I think that Tennessee is another hotbed for anti-LGBTQ plus legislation they had 31 pending bills um in this legislative session that had been classified as anti-LGBTQ mm-hmm. plus um and so the the legislation house bill 1895 it would cut pay for school law enforcement officers who refuse or cannot verify a student's gender before school athletic participation see uh, this is why i can't i was going to read that out but like i can't even read those words because i'm just it's so yeah. preposterous to me like what are you doing an invasion of privacy on that child and the parents like consent and underage and i just have so many questions I think that in practice, a lot of these bills and legislation hopefully wouldn't stand up in court. Um, I think that, again, if we think about it through the lens, if we think about these these pieces of legislation or these policy actions, if we think about it through the lens of it is Republicans pandering to Christian nationalists, it makes a lot more sense. It's not necessarily that they care about these these bills standing up in court. It's not that they necessarily care about the effectiveness of actually doing the action that they're doing. I, in my opinion, I believe the purpose of these bills, the purpose of this legislation is to pander to evangelical Christian nationalist voters so that the Republican party is seen as their party and to have blind loyalty for that party. And so it is to pander to their base, not necessarily to achieve the, the effects. Now, the the reality is the consequences of that is extremely damaging and harmful to the commute, the LGBTQ plus community. If we're saying we care about pro-life, man, if you're the party of pro-life and you're passing legislation that data supports is going to lead to suicides of teenagers, I don't know what you're doing. Like, I don't, I don't know. That's not a pro-life party to me. Like the, there are real life consequences for these policies and this legislation. And we know that we see that in the data that trans youth have the highest rates of suicide in our country. Mm -hmm. And it's because of policies like this, it is because of rhetoric like this. And, and I think that that's the reality of what the Republican party is doing right now is that, and I think one of, I, even, um, oh my gosh, what governor, um, a governor said that he would never, he would not support or endorse or allow legislation like that in his state because he is pro-life. Um, and I think it was either, 
um, I think Colorado's governor, mm-hmm. Utah's governor. It was Utah's governor, the governor of Utah. Yeah. Um, he said, because I am pro-life, I will not allow these policies to happen in my state because we know that policies like this lead to teen suicide. Yeah. And yeah. um by the way, I misspoke yeah. earlier. I was reading, I was looking at my notes, mess, messed up. Um the it was a Kentucky law where the um sorry, the the body basically resists I'm like any users. It was a Kentucky law where the governor vetoed the law and then everyone came back and vetoed his veto. What's the formal way of saying that? Anyway, it wasn't Tennessee. It was Kentucky. So just just wanted to clarify. I got my states mixed up there. And I want us to also understand that in order for a state legislature to um, enact a veto override, that means that a super majority yeah. of that state legislature had to support that anti-trans sports bill. Like that is wild to, yes. Um, yes. Yeah. that not just a simple majority. We're not talking about like a 50 plus one percentage of their state legislature. We're talking about a super majority of the Kentucky state legislature having to want this anti-trans yeah. bill enough to override the governor's veto of that bill. And I like, yeah, it, that's, well, it anyway, goes back to your point could... of like, oh, just the heart, like the hearts. I'm just thinking about like, everyone's trying to be on their like moral high horse and yeah. like, how can you be on a moral high horse when you're doing something that's so damaging to so many people and you're just like, you know, fine with it. Like, I, I just can't with that. Well, hope because, um, because they are, um, they're protecting the ability to procreate. <laughs> oh yeah, the ability that's right. to procreate that's is a important. fundamental yeah, that's right. right. That's right. That must be yeah. protected for these children, mm, especially for kids. You know, it's so important. Early I want. On. I want to say that an actual, uh, an actual government elected official said the quote: "The ability to procreate yeah. <laughs> is a fundamental right that must be protected." for these children. I don't know about you. I don't remember um, the Bill of Rights covering mm-hmm. reproductive, mm-hmm. like procreation. Yeah. Was it life, liberty? No. Was it this, is this on a pursuit of happiness? <laughs> life, liberty, procreation? <laughs> remix. It's a remix. Okay, so we're pushing our time here, but yeah. I, I think let's just kind of end on thinking about, we're talking a little bit about, so now what, right? So the, yes. the sessions have ended. A lot of things were passed. Some things were put in hiatus. You kind of mentioned, because um, I was feeling a bit depressed about it all, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. you kind of mentioned that just a, a couple minutes ago about what's next is basically lawsuits, right? I mean, is that yeah. really what's oh, next? Litigation. And like, what can the average person do about that? Um, obviously, you know, if we're, we're in Washington State, it's not, we don't have the same kind of, you know, makeup um, in our legislative body, but, you know, we need to keep an eye out. And are there things that we can do um, in, you know, advocating in other states? And that's an inappropriate way, right? Obviously, yeah. we've talked about, yeah. you know, minding your um, state business, but. I, I want to say that I want to um, do a callback to at the beginning of the episode when I talked about how the Republican Party has been trying to get as many district federal judges appointed to the courts as possible over the last several decades. Um, This is why, because when you pass policies and legislation that are problematic, you know that there's going to be litigation and you want judges that are as um, sympathetic to your your plight as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, litigation, I think that going and finding non or interest groups, nonprofits that are 
that are currently in active lawsuits against these policies and these laws and donating to their causes because litigation is extremely expensive. And so, um, litigation is the the privilege of the wealthy oftentimes it's the wealthy elite's strongest tool in terms of influencing policy along with lobbying um and so making sure that reformers have the the money that they need in order to also litigate um i think that that's a a very um, important thing to do so looking mm-hmm. in those states that we know we talked about in this episode and, and finding those groups that are suing um, and pushing back um, I think that in in that sense that's something you can do also I there is something that you can do you can appeal to your members of Congress or any member of Congress to pass the Equality Act this is a bill that has been introduced several times into Congress mm-hmm. and um, because we also have to recognize because of federal supremacy, if Congress were to pass a law that that creates protections for the LGBTQ plus community, um, makes them a protected um, group on all fronts, then state government, state legislatures cannot pass legislation that violates that law. And so Congress can pass legislation that takes away the state legislature's powers to pass laws like this. That, But Congress has to make it federal law first. Yeah. Congress has yeah. to federally protect these groups, um, these marginalized groups, specifically um, you know, LGBTQ plus in this episode. So I think that really making it known that we demand for the Equality Act to pass. I mean, we're out of the legislative session, but I think um, demanding that, that is absolutely something that we can do, that, that that we need to improve, we need to expand who is included in the protected class of people in this country federally. Um and and once that happens, these these laws become, you know, not viable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks for saying that. And I think that kind of leads us into our, our final segment. Really, do your fudging homework. Interchangeable, white ladies. Um, so it sounds like people have some homework to do. Yes. Um, one of the things I was thinking about is there's a really um, tear jerking video called "Let Us Play," and it's about trans athletes. Um, and it's gonna, gonna grab some tissue. Um, and then also I'm going to link to, um, just some work from facing history for educators out here, or even if you're not an educator, you're interested the way that they've kind of laid out different resources and helping you understand, um, why we are in the space that we are with all of this. Um, it's really, a really powerful website and resources. And, and my homework is to what we just talked about. I think educating yourself about what's happening, um, there's going to be some really good resources and links on in our show notes for this episode. Um, and, and going and donating money if you can to those organizations that are on the ground actively fighting against these policies in their states, but also to reach out to Congress to make it known to educate the people around you about the Equality Act, to educate the mm-hmm. people around you, contact your members of Congress. Y'all, you would be surprised at how powerful and responsive members of Congress are to their constituents. Um, And so even if you know that your member of Congress supports the Equality Act, the more they hear from their constituents, the more they will push it with their, you know, their coworkers, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? That you can make this be known um, and they can make it be known in Congress. So I think making noise about it, not becoming complacent, 
not getting that information fatigue. Um, Megan, it's been a joy as always to talk to you and I look forward to catching up in a month, um, where maybe some of this will be the same, but maybe we'll have better things. Just gonna, just gonna miss you so much. Progress from now. We'll do, uh, we'll do a bit of an update. Yeah. Um, all the best. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. The Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.